You're listening to Tarot Talk, and I'm your host, Holly Ramey. I'm going to serve you some practical magic and give you tips and tools to bring the mystical into your everyday life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 23 of Tarot Talk. I'm your host, Holly Ramey, and I'm super, super excited to be sitting down today with Sarah Rosser. She is a birth worker, and Sarah and I met actually in the hospital at my own birth, and um, I'm so excited to tell you guys a little bit about that and to introduce Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Can you just start by telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Just a little bio. Sure. Yes, absolutely. So I am a a mother of two and a partner. We live um, here in Tennessee on a small farm and I work with the farm midwives as a certified professional midwife. So my days and nights consist of catching babies and sometimes goats, but (laughs) (laughs) amazing. So Actually, I wanted to differentiate. I was thinking, I've been obviously thinking a lot about birth the last few days, uh, prepping for this interview. And I can't remember what I was reading, but I read something about like delivering babies. Mm-hmm. And in a moment, I realized that like the midwives that I have worked with have never used that term. Right. Um, and you always say catching. <laughs> Yes. Which puts the, the work of like actually delivering uh-huh. back to the mother. Right. Um, right. Is that, yeah, we, we don't, we shouldn't get credit for that just by, you know, or anyone should get credit for just walking in and catching a baby like that. That's delivery. There's actually a fantastic new book out by uh, Rebecca Decker, um, who is the creator of evidence-based birth. And it's called um, babies are not pizzas they're they're born not delivered yeah I've been that she gives some fantastic perspective to that that line of thought but yeah we'll leave the delivering to the to the mom yeah and that's amazing and that is part of the kind of theme of empowered birth that drew me to the midwives and the farm um and for the listeners I'll just give a little bit of like backstory about how we met because I was um, living in New York City when I was pregnant and I uh, attended moon ceremonies at this place called Carriage House Birth and they were a group of doulas and so just like being in that space I just like recognized some of like Ina May's books. And when I became pregnant, I kind of went to them um, to explore my options. And I found the farm. And uh, my partner is from Nashville, Tennessee. So I decided to go ahead and hire a midwife and move to Nashville to have my birth. And then I got here, I was 30 weeks pregnant and I went into early labor at about 31 and a half weeks. So my midwife was going to be uh, Pamela and 
and Deborah, actually, they were both going to work with me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I couldn't do it because I was so early and you came, you were working as an apprentice back then, yes. right? That's right. Uh-huh. Okay. And then you came and met me at the hospital and I was like a terrified <laughs> person <laughs> lying in a bed, just like completely refusing to attempt to deliver a child. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about like, at that point, you were apprenticing to be a midwife, um, but you were already dueling for a long time. Dueling, is that a word? Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no other way to say that, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I had I had been attending some births as a doula in the hospital setting, and then um, when I got an apprenticeship at the Farm Midwifery Center, I started attending births there with them as well. And if my memory serves me correctly, I think there may have been another birth going on at the farm when you went into labor. And so we have to kind of divide sometimes and like who can go where and be with who. And it made the most sense, even though you and I had not met for me to come to you. And thankfully you were open to that, to a meeting a new person and, and having a baby with them <laughs> at the same time. I think it's so interesting that that's, that's how you felt in the moment, like you were resisting the birth because to me, you seemed so open and so free. Hmm. Um, but you know, in that, in that just interesting that that's how you felt. Yeah. I think when I made the decision, like the decision was made and then I went ahead and, and did the work, but I was hoping <laughs> the loss of hope is a funny thing, but I was hoping that at some point, so my water broke at, like I said, I, I was 31 and a half weeks. And right. so when I first arrived through like the emergency room to the hospital, the first doctor I saw said like, maybe like just rest for the night. And then like, we could maybe just stitch you up and put you on bed rest so that you can make it to whatever it is, 37 weeks to like, you know, deliver with the farm. Um, but because I came in through emergency, I was getting a new doctor every 12 hours, right? Cause that's their shifts. Right. So then the next doctor I woke up in the morning was there and was like, Oh, absolutely not. Like you have to have this baby. The risk of infection is too high. Like you can't. And then I was like, well, cool. I'll just hold out for another 12 hours until I get that other doctor. The next doctor. Right? Yeah. And see what he says. And so I did that for like three days. <laughs> um, and then finally the third day, which I think you came on the second day. Um, and that's when we first met and I was still kind of, and Oh, I had that big argument. Were you there when I had the argument with the nurses? And, um, I do remember there being a bit of a standoff. Yeah. <laughs> They made me sign liability paperwork because I refused a heart rate monitor because they kept coming in every few hours to check on every time I would like roll over in bed or get up to pee, you know, the thing would go off and I couldn't sleep. And right. I was like, if I'm going to have a baby, like I have to sleep, like you have to get all this shit off of me. <laughs> and they made me <laughs> sign paperwork that said they weren't liable because I like would not do what they wanted. I also kept eating. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and they didn't want me to eat, yeah. but I would have had not eaten for three days. And like, how do you have a baby when you can't eat? It's not logical at all, is it? 
So these are kind of some of the things that like made me not want to have a hospital birth because of some of these things that felt really counterintuitive. Um, But just to finish kind of like with my own personal birth story, I guess, and not jump all over the road, what did end up happening is the third day they told me that if I wouldn't, and they had been giving me Pitocin for um, about 24 hours and I still would not go past like one centimeter of dilation (laughs) because I was just like, holding in as much as I could. Um, but they told me that they were going to give me a, an emergency C-section if I didn't start labor within a few hours. Um, and as soon as I made the decision, like, I think it was only about two or three hours before I, like from that time until I actually like pushed her out. It might've been four hours. Um, but that was, I think the time when I just like, really hit home. I used all of the birth stories that I read in Ina May's book, Spiritual Midwifery, as like, that thing was like my textbook. Like I studied that thing like a textbook (laughs) and just like immersed myself in all of that information to like get through it. And I remember just like, all of the techniques of like how to open and dilate and like, you know, open mouth kissing and like nipple stimulation and just like um, the language used of like not using the word contraction, but like, um, what do they call it? A wave? Yeah. Or a rush. A rush. Yes. A rush. Uh Um, and feeling like every contraction and thinking of it as like a rush. And I did think of it as like a wave of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like moaning and making noise. And the one thing I remember is like, I was moaning really loud. I don't think I realized how loud I was. (laughs) Um, and at one point the nurse came in who was lovely. Um, But she was like, girlfriend, I can't believe that's you. Like, I can hear you all the way down the hall. Like, I can't believe these noises are coming out of your mouth. And when she walked out of the room, you looked at me and you were like, don't stop what you're doing. (laughs) Don't let like any seed of doubt be planted in your mind right now about like what you were doing. And then like, I I feel like that gave me the confidence to like, just continue and like, do the damn thing. Yeah. Um, but I think it was like you and that nurse who was the only nurse that kind of like, she looked at me that morning and was like, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing. And she was like, you're lying. What's wrong? And I'm like, she saw me, my emotional state. Like I felt safe with her. And then I was able to like do it very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we laughed because the doctor came in and he was like taking naps while I was pushing and like fall asleep. You're right. (laughs) He had like just woken up. (laughs) He was like still semi napping. (laughs) And it was during the day, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Wow. Can we get you a pillow? I know. Um, (laughs) And the nurse taught me how to push and it was just like, all right, let's do this thing. Yeah. Um, And even though it was like, painful because I had a lot of Pitocin um, and the, the labor happened really quickly. It also felt like one of the most like natural and empowering experiences I've ever had. Like it was like, okay, I was born for this. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I really feel like 
reading the stories of those women, um, it felt like I was able to like channel some kind of like wisdom or power from all of those stories, or maybe just from like the collective of women that that exists everywhere to like summon the strength to do it. Um, And so for me, it really felt like one of the most empowering, but scary experiences of my life. Um, And you were there to support me in it. So (laughs) thank you for that fortunate to be there. Yes. I remember, I remember you having that shift, that moment where you, where you agreed that it was time to have the baby. And it was Mm -hmm. like, up until then, it was just not time for you. And, and then once you let go and, and released, boy, you released, you had the baby like Mm -hmm. really quickly for a first baby. That was, that was incredible. Yeah. And I think that was something so amazing to realize that like the power of our minds and how we can and how that affects our body so much. And yeah, that somatic experience of knowing that like we create our own contraction with our fear. Yes. Um, so how do you as a birth worker help women to like move through that fear and like become empowered? Hmm. You know, I mean, everyone's different. Every birth is different. And, and you know, the process that everyone goes through is, is unique. Um, one of the most recent births that I helped with, um, uh, the, she, this almost all reminds me of her a little bit as well. And she uh, really wanted to have as her third baby. And she really wanted to have the baby in the water. And she kept kind of starting up labor and then it would go away. And she'd start up and it would go away. And she finally said, I think it's because I want to have the baby in the water and the birth tub's not set up yet. Mm. And I was like, well, let's set up the birth tub. So we set up the birth tub, but we didn't fill it up with water because, you know, it'll get cold pretty quickly. And so we we set up the birth tub, but we didn't fill it with water. And she kind of had the same thing. Labor started up and went away. And then she said, there has to be water in the tub. And we were like, all right, let's put water in the tub. (laughs) We put water in the tub. And, you know, within a few hours, she had had her baby in the water where she wanted to. And she was so right. And that we probably wouldn't have had time to do all of that if we'd have waited until she was in active labor. And so... I think a lot of helping people work through their fears is just them seeing how much you trust them Mm. as a birth worker, like that you trust their bodies and that you trust this process. And, and I think that allows um, families a lot of times to let go of whatever is holding them back. It's like, they're okay with this. So I can be okay with this too. Um, but, you know, but truly everyone's different. Some people have real um, processes that they need to work through or talk through, um, in order to be able to release and let go. It is, it is truly the art of releasing birthdays. Yeah. And so much surrender. Um, so let's back up a little bit. Um, cause I know in a past life you were, as we all have like a past life, um, <laughs> you were a hairstylist in your young years. So yeah. tell me a little bit about just like your beginnings, your initiation into this amazing work. Like how did you make that transition from a hairstylist? Into okay, a sure. Yeah. Well, so I started as a hairstylist really, really young. Um, birth was not really on my radar. I grew up in a really conservative Christian home and 
um, community. And mm-hmm. this is in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And so um, birth was a bit of a hush-hush subject. And so it wasn't really something that I was very exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I became a hairstylist, it wasn't that I didn't want to be a midwife. I truly wouldn't have even known what one was. Um, anyway, I did that work for a while. And uh, so when my husband and I got pregnant and had our first daughter, this was 11 years ago, um, we were in Alabama where midwifery is, was at the time illegal. It was an illegal practice. And so our options were, and, but for whatever reason, even though I had very little understanding of um, natural birth or uninterrupted or undisturbed birth, um, it still very much resonated with me that it was something that I could do without a lot of interference. And um, so I was very drawn to midwifery for the first time. And I think that same book that you're talking about, Spiritual Midwifery, was the first book that I got. Um, I went to a bookstore and was like, do you have any books on midwifery? And that was the only one that they had. Wow. And so I started reading it. And it is, you know, if it's your first introduction to natural birth, it's a bit radical. You know, <laughs> it's not a, it doesn't start you out lightly or anything. Um, but I was, you know, amazed by it. Um, but because we were in Alabama, because of the laws that were in place, my only options were to either have the baby in a hospital or to have an illegal midwife. Mm. And um, the issue with that was that my, my husband's father was a very prominent physician in our town and my dad was a sheriff in the town. Mm. And so there wasn't a midwife under the radar that was willing to touch us with a 10 foot pole. (laughs) And so, um, anyway, so, so we gave birth to her in a hospital and I felt like I had these really like warm, um, respectful care providers. And I had a fairly low risk, low intervention birth in the hospital, but being in the business of like aesthetics, like I was as a hairstylist, I just, I truly couldn't get past that such a beautiful, beautiful thing could and should maybe happen in a more beautiful and warm environment. And so um, from then on, I was pretty hell-bent on not just having babies at home in the future, but being a midwife. That I, I felt a very, very strong um, inner calling mm. to pursue midwifery. And so um, when our kids were little, our second child we had by adoption, but when they were little... Um, my husband was starting to look for jobs in different states and I gave him a list of states where midwifery was accepted and legal and um, friendly. And, uh, and he, um, I said, you're going to have to choose a job from one of these states. And so he chose Tennessee and that's how we ended up here. And then I was just really fortunate to land an apprenticeship at, um, at the farm midwifery center. It's, it's fairly, it's one of the more renowned places as far as midwifery goes. And so it was, it was a really like serendipitous, incredible thing that worked out. Yeah. That's amazing. And did you go right into midwifery or did you like doula for a while? No, I really did go right into midwifery. The very first birth I attended was at home. Wow. Um, and not even on the farm. It was, it was in this person's own home. And, um, and then I, I, I did doula work alongside that. And okay. then on top of all that, I was also in college to be a midwife. And so That's I kind of, had, I had my hand in like three different, you know, 
aspects of birth and um, doula work as much as I enjoyed it. It really helped me realize that that I felt that I felt the most comfortable in a home birth setting. And so, whereas I could have potentially gone into being a hospital midwife, mm-hmm. um, a home birth midwife is what really, really resonated with me. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I just wanted to tell the listeners a little bit, if you don't know what the farm is, <laughs> um, it is a community that was started, I think in the seventies by a woman named Ina Mae Gaskin, who came to Tennessee via uh, San Francisco with a caravan of amazing women. Um, And as they were kind of traveling, uh, Ina Mae started to deliver uh, babies on the bus, right? And so when they landed here in Tennessee, um, she began the work of studying with a doctor as well, I believe, um, to become a midwife. And now... um, 30 what 40 years later um almost 50 because that was one yeah 50 years later it is one of the most renowned um midwifery centers in the country and the world Ina Mae gives workshops and teaches around the world I believe at least when I was reading that uh the farm had one of the highest rates of successful natural births in America, right? That That's probably true, right? And now I feel like as home birth is spreading across the country, it's becoming a little bit more common. Um, yeah, it, it, the, the success rates are everywhere. It's not just at the farm. But since they somewhat pioneered the rebirth of, of home birth, it, for a while there, it was it was the place to go to have a baby at home. Yeah, which yeah. is amazing. And I was going to rent a birth cabin. Right. Um, <laughs> and you have this magical experience of being supported by several midwives and um, being in a forest on a farm in nature. And yeah. the thing that really, because when I was coming down here, I looked at a few other mid- midwifery centers. Um, and the thing that really drew me to the farm was also your postnatal care, right? I think it's three or four days you stay. Some folks stay for weeks, but yes, we really hope that people stay at least three days for sure. And whereas, yeah, a lot of birth centers, you don't even stay 24 hours before exactly. you go. Yeah. And that's a big transition to like have to make postpartum. Absolutely. Yeah. But not only just because there's so much support needed postpartum, but also just, can you imagine popping in the car 12 hours after you've had a baby and driving to wherever home is for you? I mean, that's, that's a really, um, that's an adventure at least. So 24 hours after I gave birth, I had to get in the car, drive home with my baby there in the NICU at the hospital. And then for a week I had to drive to the hospital five, six times a day to go nurse her and pull her out of the incubator because she was four pounds. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's so insane. Um, it is. I can imagine how hard that was. And your body is just like split in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
right. You're, you've got your own, your own, you're not like a, a perfectly healed, like completed person yet either. And you're, you're having to make this commute. I recently had a friend who lives out here close to us who was very fortunate to have her baby at 27 weeks at Vanderbilt because it's such a great hospital for that. Um, however, it's an hour from here. And so she was uh-huh. doing similar to what you're doing with just this um, horrid commute. Um, and, and her baby was there for months. So that, that is, that is really difficult. Yeah. I remember there was like this community of parents. You see them going up and down the elevator from the NICU like every day and just like, you know, with like bottles and bottles of pumped breast milk in their hands and just like and it just made me so sad though that like we we couldn't be there you know there wasn't a place for us to like be to be with them um and I think that that's something that has um stayed with me or there's been like this deep longing for this time when we used to live in community um, for this time when there was a village, right? And there were people around to support us after birth. And so that a woman could have like a true postpartum experience um, and feeling so isolated in our like nuclear family units when we really don't get much care. And even like a lot of women have to go back to work within like 30 or 60 days of birth. And even if they aren't, um, even if they are able to stay home longer, like their partner has to go back to work. And so they're left alone to caretake, but nobody. So like who mothers the mother? (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, and to think back at like, if you've read things like spiritual midwifery or I made guys to childbirth, you know, these women were all living in this tight knit community, sometimes like many, many families in one home, um, because that was what was um that made the most like strategic sense for them to live that in that tight of a community and so um the way they cared for each other postpartum um alike until their children were adults the way they cared for each other was really remarkable in comparison to the way we do this typically in our culture um, we've, t- we've had this huge shift and I don't know wh- why and how the scale has tipped so hard from, you know, um, gathering around women after they have babies and feeding them and staying in close connection with them. And we've gone to this, uh, you know, completely drastic opposite of isolation and junk food and, um, because they, they can't cook because they don't need to be up on their feet and yeah. yeah and then telling them they need to go to work a couple of weeks later and bounce back with their body. And I wish everybody could see my air quotes on that, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's a really drastic shift that we've made. And I don't think that it's helping us. I don't think it's helping us at all as a whole community. Yeah. I think also I, in my own personal experience, had a lot of, I struggled with um, postpartum depression. I struggled with severe anxiety um, after my birth because I was in a new city. I had no supportive family or friends. My partner went to work three days after I gave birth. 
he worked as a bartender all night long, 12 hours. He would leave from two and come home at five or six in the morning. So I would literally be up all night caring for my daughter, like breastfeeding her every few hours. There was extreme pressure. She was a preemie for me to get enough food in her to continue her like growth. Um, right. And so I had a lot of stress about just like keeping her alive and like well nourished and fed. And I had no idea what I was doing. Sure. Um, And it's just, and nobody tells you um, really what to do and, and how to do it and what to expect. So to me, Ina May's books were like the, the only support I had in like knowing what to expect and like, how to um, even try to caretake for myself. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we are in a way, so I had hired um, a postpartum doula Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know how to like let her care for me. Mm. So she would come over and I would clean the whole house before she came Mm. and like, I almost treated her like a guest in my home that I needed to like wait on. Yeah. Um, and she, and I remember there was like confused, like they would show up and be like, well, you kind of like have it all together here. Right. <laughs> like right. what do right. you want to do? Like once I went to like grocery shop because I just like, she was just like, why don't you just go like get some things that you need? Like go, do some of the things you need to do. Right. I'll stay here with your daughter. Um, and then I came back and she had like cut up all the fruit in my fridge. And I was like, astonished she had done this. <laughs> yes. And well, and so, I mean, a postpartum doula obviously knows their place coming into the home and is there to help and is not looking for a clean home. But I think a lot of, a lot of women who potentially have family members or close friends coming over to their home, those family members and friends sometimes don't know that the house should be messy and that it is their role as a visitor to help with dishes and to bring some food to the mom and not to expect her to leave the room to breastfeed or for, you know, the the expectations on a woman postpartum when they have visitors is just unreal. And then, yeah, I I totally know what you mean about cleaning a house before a, a, postpartum doula (laughs) I did the exact same thing personally but um yeah I I think culturally we have to put systems in place and change expectations um or or that's going to keep happening people are gonna pay good money for a postpartum doula to come over and then have the house all tidied up for them when they arrive (laughs) yeah because it's like this I and, and I think that that's like this expectation that we have to like be perfect, mm-hmm. be to people, please. Um, to like, you know, have this messy birth, but don't let it be messy. Right. To like clean it up and get together. And like you said, like bounce back and like, it kind of reminds me of like the way that like even menstruating is like approached at a young age. It's like, here's your period here's like plug it up and then like go run a marathon or go back to work or you know what I mean just like keep it tidy Uh and 
pretend it's not happening. Keep on living your life. Uh-huh. Um, is there, were there any experiences for you like at a young age when you felt that kind of, where you felt like, hmm, this doesn't feel quite right. <laughs> like, like about birth in particular. Or like your, or just like, like women's like menstruation or any of that, right. like that kind of like suppression and shame. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say, even though I grew up in the kind of upbringing that I did, um, menstruation specifically was always very normalized and honored in my household. Really? That was actually a bit of a different culture that probably opened me up to my views on birth um, because it was something that was easily talked about in our home around men or whoever. It was nothing to be ashamed of. It was almost like an honorable time in your cycle and um, celebrated to some extent. I feel like that had a really big impact on on me moving into the, the birth world. Um, I will say I do have this one negative memory of, um, when I was in church as a teenager and there was a woman who I now know gave birth at home. Um, but I didn't know that at the time, um, who breastfed her baby on the front row of, um, in church. Mm -hmm. And I think was asked not to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling so incredibly baffled by that process and just seeing the kind of shame being introduced. And it's just no wonder that when we have the kind of hormonal shifts that we do postpartum, when our bodies are stretched and exhausted, um, that that all of this spirals together with a little bit of shame from some community members and, and that we, we dig deep into this quiet secret of depression or anxiety or rage. Um, and then we never tell anyone about it. You know, we keep it to ourselves because it means we're not good moms is what we think that it means, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I, I think about her experience, what, how she must've felt in those moments. And, um, trying to get out of the house for the first time with her brand new baby and, and being essentially told to just go back home and how that must've felt for her. And, um, anyway, those, those couple of different experiences in my upbringing, I feel like were huge pushes into this line of work, um, to get into a line of work that very much normalized and supported women during this, these processes that are so good and that are so normal and, um, but still very hard, you know? Yeah. What has your experience of like becoming a mother, how did that like bring you further into, or like what has like motherhood taught you or like initiated? Talk to me a little bit about like your becoming a mom. Sure. Um, yeah, well, early, early in motherhood, I, I went back to work just maybe three weeks after I had Stevie and on my feet all day as a hairstylist. And, um, it was, it was a really, uh, kind of wild looking back at it, um, experience and that I was balancing so many things at once. And then, so once we moved here to Tennessee, we had this massive life shift where 
um, I was no longer the breadwinner and I was able to be home with the kids. Um, I'll say like we have our biological daughter who, um, who we have very, I have very natural attachment to, Mm -hmm. and she has very natural attachment to me. And then I have a son who's adopted who we've had to, and will always have to work constantly on attachment issues because of the trauma that he experienced before he came to us. Um, And so having that time and space to be with them more, Um, this is about when they were three until they were about six was really like a necessary for us. Um, anyway, that was a a huge shift in my, my motherhood journey, I think. And then, um, just this last year, well, in 2018, I gave birth to a little boy, um, as a surrogate, I carried for another family. Um, and so experiencing postpartum without a baby, yeah. Was a really interesting contrast to postpartum with your baby. Wow, really, really interesting change. <laughs> I totally forgot that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is that not on my list of things? Yeah, well, it's easy to because there's no baby here. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how, what was that experience? I mean, that was just a year, a, a year and a half ago. Right. So, yeah, all right. Uh-huh. Um, so how was that experience different than like being post, like after all the work that you've done over, I don't know, eight years, was your like pregnancy experience very different, like postpartum experience yeah. very different? Oh, it was all, it was all extremely different. I mean, for one thing I was 10 years older and yeah, I've got to say it's a little easier to give birth in your early twenties than it is in your thirties. <laughs> that was my experience. Oh, but, um, but yeah, that the surrogacy opportunity kind of came to me because the family was looking for someone who would carry their embryo, who um, was open to home birth and things like that. So they were really content with the farm setting. And so I was able to receive the midwifery care that, I had been giving for several years and that was almost one of my biggest motivators. I mean, it, I do care about that family. I did care about their infertility issues and being able to become parents. And so don't mean to say that I was totally insensitive to that, but I also was really self-motivated to do the surrogacy because I wanted to experience the kind of care that that I'd been giving and, and, you know, I had not ever had a home birth. And, um, and so it, it ended up just being a really like almost just flawless situation where they saw very much eye to eye with me on the way, um, pregnancy and birth can and should go. And we had this amazing farm birth last year. Deborah was my midwife and amazing. Yeah. Um, however, I feel like one of the, my biggest takeaways was if women can rest postpartum, that changes the scope of recovery completely mm-hmm. because, because there, I was not awake at night caring for a baby. I was able to get so much more rest. Um, and so, and of course that's not the case for most women. They do have a baby to take care of. Um, but you know, having systems in place so that women can get the kind of rest that they need is, is just essential. So necessary. 
and I know you and I have talked a little bit about the whole like, you know, nap when you're sleep when your baby sleeps, nap when your baby naps. Like, yeah, right. Like you're so keyed up. You can't let your nerves relax for long enough to take a rest. And so, so many things have to be in place. You have to be well nourished. Um, you're, you're, you need to be getting enough omegas that your brain is well fed. Um, there's so many players into the, the whole energy to be able to rest when your baby rests. And so just telling women sleep when the baby sleeps is probably not helpful at all in my experience, at least. (laughs) Yeah. No, that was something that we chatted about before Uh we record. And it was like, I was never, I don't think I ever napped at all in Mm -hmm. my postpartum months. Um, and by months, I mean, three and a half years since my child was born. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because there's no, I haven't, I just, you just don't have the opportunity to like shut your, to deregulate and your nervous system is just like, there's not other, when there's not other people around, um, it's very hard to turn down like that. Um, so was it um, like very emotionally um, overwhelming to go through those huge hormonal shifts that happen postpartum, but not have the kind of, um, what do they call it? Like oxytocin hit uh-huh. getting sure. the baby on yeah. the skin? Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that was a that was certainly a player in things like, um, breastfeeding. Cause I, so I pumped and sent breast milk to the family mm. and not having a baby there to produce oxytocin was, or help, help me produce oxytocin was, was a, was a real issue. And it ended up with me not really being able to produce the kind of milk that I needed to. Mm. Um, whereas with my own baby, I didn't have an issue with that. Um, but I would even notice like my dog would walk in the room and rub up against me and I'd have this milk let down and it was like, Oh, you you have, you need that. That is a needed hormone release, um, in order to, um, in order to produce milk. So, um, or move, move milk at least. Um, but yeah, the, it it was, it, there for both of, after both of my pregnancies between about six and nine months, I went through a lot of postpartum anxiety. That was kind of how it presented for me was anxiety. Mm. Um, but the difference I feel like was that when I had Stevie, when I had my daughter, people understood, they saw that I was there with my baby and that I was having anxiety issues, Whereas when it was the surrogacy, I was having this anxiety and folks are just like, what's going on with you? And I'm like, I can you, you remember when I had that baby? <laughs> it's the same thing. It made me feel a little less like validated in those feelings. But, but the, the huge difference was that I was so connected with the farm and the farm community that I was very well supported. And mm-hmm. while you know, acquaintances that I had may have forgotten that I had a baby a year before my midwives had not forgotten yeah. and, and were, were very tuned into what was going on with me and my body and my hormones and, and gave me time and space off work and whatever I needed to deal with that. And it, it really opened my eyes to like, most folks don't have friends and coworkers and bosses who are that in tune to them. Um, again, as just something culturally, we're going to have to wake up to. Yeah. It's, and it really is. It's like, we have to almost relearn 
um, something that we seem to have already known. You know what I mean? It's like we have to remember Mm -hmm. um, like what's needed and how to support each other. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just touch base a little bit on um, like what it's like to be a midwife. Like what does that look like for you? Cause I'm sure it's like so different than um, a nine to five. <laughs> Birth Absolutely. doesn't happen on anybody else's schedule. Um, and like, for me, just like a personal experience of um, the difference of like going to a hospital and having an appointment. So like I had a midwife group, but there were like 10 or 12 midwives. So I would go and I never saw the same person. And I was 35 when I got pregnant. So at every appointment, I was reminded of my high risk. Um, And when I went to see (laughs) Deborah, um, she would just be like, you're so young and strong. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'd be like, no, they said that I'm like in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) What's going to happen? She was like, nothing. (laughs) Like, and it would just be like, she would say like three things to me. And then we would just be like chatting about how I felt. And then that was it. And it was just like, so simple. It Uh felt, like alarmingly simple to me. Sure. sure. Because she just like trusted me. Um, like you said earlier, she, that there were no like, it was just like, okay, you're going to do this. Great. Yeah. Right. Um, right. So yeah. Like, the, yeah. The, the age piece is so interesting. There's so many women that come to us because they've been called things like, um, uh, even like geriatric maternity words like that are being used. I know really, really awful. And we have not found any correlation with, um, older women, women in their forties giving birth being an issue. Um, because typically those women who choose motherhood in their forties, are in the shape that they need to be in, whether that, whatever, whatever the shape being in that they're mentally capable and strong enough to, to handle it. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's the really, really young gals who have to work through a whole lot of mental stuff Mm. in order to go through the birth process. And so we just, we, we really don't see a correlation in, in age being a big factor. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, I love, I love what you said about there just being like a few questions and then everybody just goes back to talking and chatting. And, and I think sometimes folks think like, well, that was really just a social visit. Like we really didn't do very much as far as the baby goes or as far as the pregnancy goes, but our, our belief in, in midwifery really is that getting to know you and getting to know the baby and your energy lets us know when something's wrong if we don't know what normal is for you, there's no way for us to know when things have left the realm of normal. And so we liken it often to like going outside and walking with a flashlight in the dark, which is kind of like what 
a hospital is doing with their monitors and things like they can see one or two things really, really well, but overall their vision is poor because it's dark outside and they've got this one little flashlight. Whereas if we will spend the time as midwives to go out into the dark and let our vision adjust, we can see the whole thing fairly well. You know, we can, we really have a bigger picture. And so our visits, our prenatal visits sometimes are an hour or two hours long. And we may have only spent 10 or 15 minutes doing the blood pressure check and the fetal heart tone check and things like that. Um, But the rest of those, you know, minutes or hours were not for nothing. Um, getting to know each other and connecting with each other, building trust with each other. Those are all in really important parts of the midwifery model of care and, um, and, and not, not swapping providers constantly, you know, whereas our clients may come and see one or two different midwives and get to know them really well. Someone in more of a hospital type setting can't keep up with who, how many people they've met. And, you know, no one really knows them because they've shifted between so many different care providers. Um, so you can see where someone would very easily slip through the cracks postpartum when no one's really gotten to know them that well. Yeah. I feel like that we slipped through the cracks or I felt like I had slipped through the cracks before I even <laughs> got started. Cause I never had the opportunity to establish a relationship with anyone. Sure. Um, other than Deborah, um, sure. so it is interesting that we that 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 trust is, it's never there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like I said when I was in the hospital that one moment when the nurse looked at me and asked me how I was and mm-hmm. didn't take like my answer <laughs> for her. she was like no girl <laughs> tell me how you really are and it was in that moment with that I was like you see me like yeah you see me as a person you don't just see me as a patient or like something to do um right like you see who I am now and that's when I felt safe enough to to do it um and yeah I think that that piece can be missing from sure the western model completely and that's what um has driven me so hard towards more like holistic and integrative medicine Mm -hmm. um I wanted to ask you (laughs) this is a silly question maybe but are you really busy during the full moon oh you know what I feel like um I, I I well we so we always chart what the phase of the moon is and um, statistically, most of our births happen just after a full moon. So pa- just past full. Wow. Um, and so a lot of times that means that a woman's labor is starting up during the full moon. Cool. But yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> and, and my, so much so that my children will, um, you know, see the moon go outside or see the moon or whatever. And if it's really big and bright, they'll be like, mom, do you have your shoes by the bed? Like that's kind of our way of saying like, mom's probably going to leave in the middle of the night, you know? <laughs> so there, everybody in the family is kind of aware of like where the moon is, like what's going on with the moon is probably what's going to be going on with whether mom leaves the house or not. <laughs> so funny. And so, and I do moon ceremonies every month and I, I always teach like 
you know, that full moon is the peak when the gravitational pull is like the strongest and it affects the water in our body. And like, mm-hmm. obviously like the womb is full of water and right. like, just like really pushes it moving. I have right. a few doula friends back in New York and I'll just like, I notice always on the full moon, they're like going out to their birth, like birth bound. Um, yeah. Is it difficult to hold a schedule like that where you're often like, how do you plan your life? (laughs) Well, there is no schedule to some extent um, when, when we're on call. And so we, and I end up personally like taking a couple of months worth of clients and, and being very um, fixated here at my home and not really committing to much as far as dinner with friends or, um, certainly not leaving the County. Um, you know, you don't drink alcohol. You don't like, you know, it, it's a different life and on-call life is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then in order to balance that, I feel like I have to have a month off. Yeah. So that I'm able to, to go, um, out of town or, or, or whatever. Tell my kids, yes, I promise I will be at your play. Yeah. Um, th- those sorts of things need to happen occasionally because, um, whereas, you know, an on-call physician is on call for 24 hours and then they're off for 24 hours, but because of the continuity of care around, um, holistic birth. So you you know, your doula friends and, um, and certainly midwives as well with, our on-call time is like, it's like a month and as opposed to, you know, and for, and like, you know, you went in, you went into labor at at 31 weeks. And so that was nine weeks before, you know, anyone expected you to have the baby. And so call on-call is, is just, it's a whole different lifestyle for sure, but it's beautiful and it's spontaneous and it's fun, you know? And so if someone spends like days in labor uh-huh. <laughs> um, like me who was like kind <laughs> of in labor um how do you like do you stay up for like two or three days to be with you them? some sometimes um r- rarely though I guess um we all have gotten really good at time management, I guess. And so, um, you know, even though someone may need me there with them in early labor to feel safe and to feel, um, feel comfortable, that doesn't necessarily mean they need me awake and right there with them. Okay. You know, it may mean that I can sleep in the next room. Yeah. Um, a, a good friend of mine, um, gave birth not too long ago and she had a 72 hour labor where she really wanted her whole birth team there, but we didn't necessarily all have to be right there with her all of the time. And so we got a lot of decent sleep, but we were away for three days. We were there with her for three days and, um, and that's, that's what she needed. And there's, there's no, no way to tell how long a birth is going to take. So we arrive with plenty of food and um, a change of clothes and deodorant and, you know, everything we need to survive for some time. And uh, I've seen this like meme go, go around a little bit lately about this new reality show where I guess the contestants have to stay up for 24 hours and then they do the game show. Like they have to be able to do things with fine motor skills and stuff like that. And anyway, the meme says something about like, please put me on that show. I'm great at this, you know? Yeah. I can totally, I can totally understand that. I I work fairly well without a lot of sleep. Wow. And like how 
crazy it must be to just like need to sleep in some environment that's like completely sure. not your own environment. Like right. when I was, when you were in the hospital with me, you were like sleeping on a bench. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. Which is better than your physician who was sleeping, sitting straight up in between your legs. <laughs> in between my legs while right. I was pushing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that I, Holly, that was a first and probably a last seeing that seeing a physician fall asleep while you're pushing <laughs> but yet he still gets to say he delivered my baby right oh please no you <laughs> that you delivered your baby <laughs> oh my god so funny um oh I just had a question and I lost it that popped up while you were talking about the extreme sport that is midwifery <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it can, it can be an extreme sport. And then sometimes I have so much downtime that I'm like, I do still have a job. Right. You know? And so it's, it's, there's a lot of ebb and flow and that's, that's great. I mean, that's what birth is. So it works. I got it. I got it. Um, I, I wanted to ask like what you do, like, do you have any personal practices that help you to like hold space in such intensity? Cause like, you know, I hold space for people coming in for like a Reiki session or a tarot reading and like, they're a little nervous, but you know, we get through it and I guide them into relaxation. You're holding space at a time that probably is one of like the most terrifying things someone might have to approach in their life or at least I think in society now it can be that fear you know is intense it's intense and and um it's been kind of um pumped into our brains through various things not just like our medical system but like in the media and the way that birth is portrayed um so like how do you work with that how do you how can you hold space with that and that kind of intensity going on? Well, I mean, you know, for one thing, I'm, I'm really comfortable with birth. And so I think sometimes just sharing my comfortable energy is, is helpful, especially for like maybe a partner who doesn't have the hormonal stuff happening, telling their body, everything's okay. You know, the partner's there and they're like, what's going on? I've never heard her make these noises before. And so, um, you know, just in general, being comfortable with birth, I think probably says a lot, but a lot of the same comfort and relaxing techniques that we tell women to use when they're going through contractions work just fine for me too. Mm -hmm. So whether that's just releasing my jaw or um, dropping my hands or, you know, those kinds of swaying and different things that maybe are bringing her body some relaxing um, vibes or will do the same for me too. Um, But there are, you know, there are like a few intentional things that I think are helpful. Like one thing I learned from Pamela Hunt um, who was one of your midwives early on. Um, I've noticed that no matter what time of day we show up at a birth, when she walks in, she takes a big breath and says, it is a beautiful day for a baby. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the middle of the night, but that's what she says. And that tells the room, like, this is the, this is a good day. And this is a good, this is a good event that's happening. And it, it tells herself that too, but, but it, it's kind of like a proclamation over the the space and the environment that like, 
this is going to be good. Um, but then also reminding folks that this is maybe one of the few times in your life where discomfort and maybe pain, maybe blood are all good signs of progress, that they're not pathological. And um, so saying those things out loud regularly, like pain is good, or we welcome this contraction, things like that, I think are, are really helpful as well. But um, I definitely have to have my unwinding rituals after birth. Yeah. But during, during birth, I think just kind of constantly reminding myself and whoever I'm with that like this process is normal. It's very normal. I think it's an important realization. I think just being in the presence of women who trust you mm-hmm. is like so, so powerful. Yeah. Um, and that's, that is support within itself is just to be seen and witnessed and trusted. Um, yeah. Yeah. So amazing. Um, well, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know we've gone over a little bit. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this. I think it's so, so important to um, bring this work into mm-hmm. the conversation and just like into the world. And I think um, just women supporting women is Absolutely. a really magical and important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank, oh, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I, I've loved catching up with you after, you after all these years. It's just wonderful. Um, becoming a mom has been like one of the most like important and validating things that have ever happened to me. So, um, and it really like helped to empower me. So I just want to thank mm-hmm. you personally for being part of that experience. Thank you. So precious. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about, um, like where to find you and how to find the farm? Okay, sure. Yeah. Well, so, um, uh, I'm on Instagram. That's about the only social media that I really do, but my handle is at Sarah Rosser. That's Sarah without an H. Um, and I also run the farm midwives Instagram. So really the same thing going on over there, but, um, the farmmidwives.com or sarahrosser.com are good ways to get in touch with us. Um, I'm also starting a podcast this year. If I'm allowed to plug that. Like yeah, <laughs> everything you do. Okay. So it's a, a really good friend of mine, um, who is a physician and I are, are doing this podcast where we're going to talk a lot about bridging the divide between Western and alternative medicine. Um, and we feel like the gap between those two are causing a lot of issues for people. And so as care providers, but the, as also as patients who are wanting to receive both kinds of care, um, how to really heal some of the wounds there. Um, anyway, it's called Wild Healers. Amazing. And when does that come out? Oh, hopefully very soon, but I'm not sure exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. So cool. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you all out there for listening. Stay tuned for the full moon forecast in a moment. (laughs) 
Okay, everyone, welcome to the second portion of the show. I am going to give you a forecast for the new moon in Pisces. So welcome into the deep watery energy of Pisces season. I hope you guys had a good couple of weeks, a good ending to Aquarius season. Uh, That full moon in Leo was definitely intense for me. Um, So much kind of heart-centered work coming through in that Leo energy, Um, really feeling into that um, energy of vulnerability and um, courage that the strength card really represents in the tarot which is a card for Leo. Um, And now we're moving from Aquarius season, which is like super, you know, high kind of air energy. I kind of think of Aquarius as like space because the perspective is so high and really connected to technology and communication. Um, And now we're going deep, deep into the depths of the sea. And Pisces season feels special because it is the last sign in the zodiac. And what they say about Pisces is that Pisces kind of takes on qualities of every other sign. Um, And so the, the depth of Pisces is really, really deep. Um, But before I get too much into all of the um, astrology and energy and the forecast, just a couple announcements. Um, I am holding a new moon ceremony. So if you're listening to this, um, the ceremony will be tomorrow, which is Sunday. Um, And it will be at the Nashville Center. I have a new moon ceremony every single month. So if you can join us, it's at 6 p.m. We set intentions. I talk about the astrology and the energy of this cycle. Um, And then we do meditation and breath work. I give Reiki, tarot readings for everyone. Um, So join me if you're here in Nashville. I'd love to see you. And... um, My Sacred Cycles course is starting on this Wednesday, which is February 26th. This is my second chakra healing, womb healing workshop. Um, I'm super excited about it. And yeah, we're just diving into all the second chakra themes. So this is going to be everything from the physical, right? The physical approach, meaning like looking at the menstrual cycle, looking at um, reproductive health and exploring just like really tangible but simple practical tools and tips because you know I'm all about practical magic that can really help us reconnect to this energy that um, has been suppressed for so long living in a patriarchal culture. So really a return to feminine energy, right? Um, A return to the reverence that we once had for approaching all of the things that that are... um, in line with the second chakra. So, um, you know, our, not just our reproductive health and our cycles, um, but we're also going to explore the themes emotionally and 
um, spiritually and energetically. So the second chakra is um, the water center. It's about movement. It's about boundaries. It's about emotions. There's inner child. There's matriarchal healing. Um, So we're going to get into all of that. So it's a four week workshop. Again, that is also at the Nashville Center. And um, I've got spots left. So uh, head over to my website, hollydramey.com, to my events page, and you can find all of the information there. I would love, love to have you. Um, yeah, join me for this. So I think that's it. Oh, my relationship readings will be available for, um, until the end. So about one more week until the end of February. Um, and I'm really excited about this offering. I usually do a self-love workshop in February in honor of Valentine's day. Um, but this year I, I really wanted to focus on relationships. Um, I'm a Libra rising and with an Aries sun. So like a big life lesson is learning to move from that kind of like I am into that we are, right? How to collaborate. Um, And relationships have been a huge teacher for me in this life. And I think especially in the last year, I've gone really deep into... um, everything about my relationships, codependency versus independency versus interdependency, attachment styles, um, and just really using my relationships as a tool for deep, deep healing and letting them be mirrors to help me explore the parts of myself that had been kept in the dark and the parts of myself that really needed healing so that I could find a different level of intimacy that I've been capable of in the past. And I think no matter what kind of relationship we're in, um, whether it's a romantic partnership or a business partner or a deep friendship, they all offer such deep insight and medicine into our own healing. And also the connections that we form are meant for different life lessons um, and soul lessons that we've come here to learn and that we can look at almost every relationship in our lives as a soulmate in that we have called that person in to help us see something or move through something. Um, and when I've approached my relationships from this standpoint, it's really helped me learn and grow Um as an individual, but also as a partner, as a mother, as a business person. So, um, This offering is a tarot spread that will be pulled for any relationship in your life. And there's some some specific questions that I ask you guys to answer um, or be clear about um, when you purchase the spread. But then I will look over those things and um, create a spread. I'll customize one for you around that relationship to give you clarity in that area. And I can deliver that either via a PDF or a video. So if that's something you're interested in, again, head to my website. That one's on my shop page. Um, So just head into the shop. All the, there's a bulletproof proof, um, a bulletproof. Why do I keep saying that? A bullet point list of, um, things that I'd like you information that I'd like for you to include just very basic things like the, the relationship and the nature of the relationship and these kinds of things. Okay, you guys. So let's dive into the cards. Um, again, this is for the new moon in Pisces and Pisces is that deep water energy, right? So like when I'm looking at Pisces, 
Um, I'm going to look at it through the lens of the chakra system, right? So water, water is like very second chakra, also very heart chakra, right? One of the reasons that I wanted to do my second chakra workshop, um, was right after the new moon in Pisces and to like deliver it during Pisces season when we're really in this deep, deep water energy. Okay. So this is going to be, like I said earlier, our connection to the emotional realm. Um, and water holds memory. And so it might bring us back, like I said, to some inner child work um, or some deep emotional healing. We can look at our relationships. We could also look at like creativity here. Piscians are known for like fantasy and creativity and being a little bit like elusive um, and deeply liking to like deeply connect on an emotional level. They don't do well with like surface level um, communication. And I have my Mercury, which is the planet of communication in Pisces. And we just are entering or entered on the 16th, a retrograde. So Mercury retrogrades in Pisces until the first week of March. So we have about two and a half more weeks of feeling this Mercury retrograde in Pisces. So a time to really look and review our emotional world and our relationships and um, our sense of pleasure and desire and what we allow in. Um, so there's a lot here to kind of unpack with this reading. So I'm going to dive right in. Literally the first card I pulled floored me a little bit. First of all, for like the message for this new moon, I got the seven of swords reversed. This has come up, you guys, over and over and over again. For the last few readings, we keep pulling this card. So like the lesson is still being learned here. And then the card from the liminal space that I pulled is the farm. And I just think this is so beautiful because I, as if you just listened to the interview with Sarah, the farm is the midwifery center that we were talking talking about the whole time and the farm is very much um very much what is described in the de in the booklet that goes with this deck like they say like the farm is a respite the farm is a home away from home the farm might not be your home but it's a place where you can go and give and receive love without needing to unpack your bags and like literally that is what the farm is was for me or was supposed to be for me. I actually didn't get to deliver there, but like a place that is full of love and support and nurturance and a place to go and like give birth and be supported and to receive, right? To give and receive without unpacking your bags. And so the farm really does have this energy, this resonance of this loving, nurturing energy, but also like a respite. And what is the what is the vacation? What is the respite from? Like the seven of swords, right? In the reverse position is still asking us to look at where we are lying to ourselves, right? Or maybe even being deceptive with others or being deceived. Um, 
but the real energy that I'm getting from seven of swords is like, like, yes, there's this energy of like lies and like lies are the demon of the throat chakra. And to be perfectly honest, like the throat chakra and the second chakra connection is something that I've been exploring deeply over this past month in my own personal journey. Um, because where we have like our pleasures and our desires in the second chakra, they must be expressed through the throat, right? And it's like the seven of swords is asking us to look at where we are still playing small of where we are still not expressing ourselves with true authenticity, right? Where we're trying to like adapt and, um, compartmentalize and compare and where we can be more expressive and take up more space. Okay. And like the farm is giving us the opportunity and this mercury retrograde is giving us the opportunity to move into a period of rest and respite in order to do so, in order to analyze and review this way of thinking, this way of being, this kind of like hypercritical part of ourselves that still wants to cut away what's not pretty so that we can, you know, offer something to the world that looks nicer, but it's not truth. It's not our real expression. Um, and so like, listen, maybe we all can't go to the farm, but it, if you can, please do. And the farm for you might be like a weekend vacation in a cabin somewhere. And like the image on the card looks like a beautiful, like, um, winter home or summer home or vacation home in some way. Um, but like, how can you incorporate that into your life right now? Like, even if it's not a, a day away or a weekend away, like maybe it's just like spending a little bit more time in nature. And I know that it's cold out, um, but like getting bundled up and taking some long walks um, or just like some extra long nourishing salt baths or uh, there's a million ways you guys in which we can kind of like find respite from moments in our day and like I think it was Chani Nicholas um in in one of her horoscopes recently um she said like find micro doses of rest throughout your days like focus on finding micro doses of rest and it was just like the most beautiful way to put it because like uh, yeah, we can't often take an hour or two hours or three hours or four hours or a whole day for rest and respite. But what if we could take a microdose, right? What if we could take five deep breaths? What if we could lay down for a moment when we get home from work and um, just like lay there and breathe into our belly before we get up and start making dinner and cleaning the house or taking care of the kids or whatever responsibilities you have? What if when you're sitting at your computer, you could close your eyes and like say a prayer? Um, I don't know what these microdoses might look for you. Maybe it's just like taking a moment to drink some water, but how can we incorporate that, right? So that we can start to observe more these ways in which our authenticity is not here with us at play, in which our expression is being driven by something other than our own truth. Um, 
what I'm pulling, and this one, this one's a little surprising to me, is the three of pentacles with this is a spell. And I pulled this as a spell last week as well. So like we're still really looking at what external influences are driving us. And the three of pentacles reverse. It's funny because it's like the three of pentacles and then on the card, this is a spell. She has the numbers 333 repeating over and over again um, in a few different ways. And so it's like, hmm. In its upright position, the Three of Pentacles is very much about like teamwork and collaboration. Um, and so when I'm pulling it in reverse for like what we are releasing, it's so I feel like it's what's holding us back from that. It's like what's holding us back from really collaborating, from really like utilizing the resources around us to the best of their ability and their efficiency. Like there's some way that we're still guarding ourselves, right? Because we're not showing our full truth. And then what, what's getting reflected back to us is not full truth either. Um, and this is a spell is asking us to examine in the external influences at play. What are we, and that's kind of what happens in the seven of swords too, is like when we start looking at external influences and letting them drive our decisions instead of looking within and letting our decisions be driven by our own ethics, our own morals, our own values. And so like, where are we looking and comparing, right? Where are we looking and saying like, oh, this person's over here doing this. I should would be doing this. So I'm going to stop what I'm doing now and align myself with their truth because that feels right. Um, but it's right for them. It's not right for you. Um, and like, where are your collaborations and what are you involving yourself in? And does it create stability in your life or does it create chaos, right? Or does it just like keep you in the same place feeling stuck? Um, and so really looking at these two cards together for what we are releasing, it's like we need to release the things that are keeping us from creating more stability in our lives, the external influences that are distracting us from um, work that can be done for for our in honor of our truth. Um, and then for what we're moving into. I pulled the sun and this is not a dream. And the sun is bringing us clarity. The sun is bringing us joy. The sun is coming soon. Hopefully springtime is right around the corner. And I thought about this yesterday about how much um, just sunlight in general can like brighten our mood. Um, it rains a lot here in Nashville during the winter months. And like, we've been having some cold and rainy days and just like walking outside for a brief moment and feeling the light, like feeling the sunlight on my face. Um, it's just like, it brings that moment of joy and the sun card is associated with joy in the tarot. And in the original iconography, there is a, a small child like on a horse with his arms outstretched and it's this, it's joy. It's not happiness. It's, it's more inherent than that. It's just like the, a mood lift, uh, lightness. Um, and it's not created necessarily, um, by us. It is uh, an energy that kind of like bubbles up from under the surface out of like wonder and curiosity and openness, really, I guess. Um, and, and this is not a dream. 
is a card about disassociation, right? And and disassociation is a theme that's really um, explored in the cups cards and the cups cards are the water energy of the tarot. And again, we're in Pisces season, we're in that water energy and, you know, going so deep into the emotional realm, it can be intense, right? Our emotions are intense and the more we kind of resist them, the more intense that they can feel. And so, um, Sometimes disassociation becomes a, a response, a protective response or a trauma response um, that we we choose to kind of move outside of our bodies so that we don't have to feel the feelings so fully. Uh, it's another way to continue resisting them. And disassociation is sometimes just like actually done through daydream and fantasy, which is another thing that's strongly associated with Pisces. Um, but it could also be done with, you know, addictions and not just substance addictions, but any kind of addiction, sugar to our phone, to scrolling, anything that kind of takes us outside of the present moment, outside of our bodies. And so this is not a dream as a reminder to like ground into reality because when we do ground into our bodies, like we feel the emotion, but we also open to it and we let it pass. And so like the reason that they kind of get stuck in tension is because we become rigid around it and we can store these emotions, right. And create this kind of rigid structure around them. Um, and so what can help is somatic work, right? Work in connecting with the mind, connecting with the body. You know, I spoke about this in the interview with Sarah of like when I was in labor right? and how I like mentally was resisting it. And so I physically locked up. And then the moment I decided that I was going to let go, um, it all just kind of happened really quickly. And we do, we do have this really strong mind-body connection. And so when we allow ourselves to feel in to what's happening in the body, and even if it's just to notice physical tension, it could open up an emotional release um, just by doing something simple like paying attention or doing a body scan, a body awareness scan. Um, so the sun with this is not a dream is like still this work, right? Of looking at the places where we are resisting, right? Of shedding the light of the sun onto the places that we've been holding in the dark, into the tension, the rigidity in our bodies, right? And how can we bring our own awareness to them to allow them to kind of flow and move through. And that's why movement is a huge healer for the second chakra, right? Because movement is what helps us to like open up and shift and expand and kind of release what needs to be released and surrender to what is in order to move forward. Um, so yeah, this reading actually feels kind of esoteric and kind of dreamy in its own way, um, which is kind of what the Pisces energy is, right? And it is asking us to kind of 
like uh, even with the full moon, right? With that chariot reverse that we pulled a few weeks ago, like this Mercury retrograde is asking us still to sit in that farm energy, to sit and find those micro doses of rest because we're waking up to illusion. We're waking up to our own disassociation. We're grounding down into a new reality now. Um, But it's through looking at what we've cut off, what we have compartmentalized, where we have disassociated, and and the ways in which this is now no longer in line with our truth. We're upgrading, you guys. We're up leveling, but it's coming through some deep lessons of looking at our own illusion, our own perception, and the ways in which we have tried to preserve ourselves and protect ourselves and maybe the ways in which we no longer need to do so. So I hope that you have enjoyed this reading and I hope that you find um, some ways to introduce the farm into your life over the next two weeks, some ways in which you can take those micro doses of rest um, in order to receive the clarity that the sun no doubt um, will bring. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me here. I love delivering this medicine to you and I hope that it serves you well. If you enjoy this podcast, please share or rate or subscribe or support it through Anchor FM with a small donation. It all means so much to me. I'd love to hear from you how these readings resonate with you. Um, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I'm Holly D. Ramey um, or shoot me an email. My contact is info is on the website and I look forward to speaking to you again. Take care.